Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Hey, I'm glad that you are here today. We're going to start out with a cute picture today. A cute little kid. No, that's not one of my grandkids. So, uh, but this picture reminds us that young kids are kind of obsessed with themselves. They, they're absorbed with themselves. Older kids can be that way too. But young kids think the world is all focused on them. Little kids think their parents exist to make the kids happy. That's what they think. That's how they operate. And if kids get what they want, then they're happy. They don't think parents have any higher purpose in life but to meet their needs. And if they're fed and they're clean and they're entertained, then life is good. It will take years for those little kids to understand the concept of living for something more than their own personal enjoyment or their own personal satisfaction. Their self-interest is obvious. And they have to learn that caring for people is part of good mental and emotional and spiritual health to care about the needs of other people. God calls us to a higher purpose than just enjoying life. We are called to a higher purpose. And so this morning we're going to look at walk in the light from Ephesians chapter 5. Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, we pray that your spirit would give us understanding. I pray that you would speak into hearts and lives, including my own. I pray that we would be encouraged in our walk with you. I pray that we would be challenged and corrected where we need correcting. We thank you for your love and grace, and we thank you for your word which speaks truth into our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're in Ephesians 5, and uh, we're going to start out in verse 1, and we're going to go on a little bit more, okay? But we're going to start reading just verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, um, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So when people look at you, what does God want them to see? We ended with this last week. What does God want them to see when people look at you? Well, we just read in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He wants them to see in you an accurate reflection of his heart, verse 1, and his son, verse 2. That's what God wants people to see in you. He wants your life to reflect his light. As the moon reflects the light of the sun, the moon has no light in and of itself. It looks like it glows in the dark when you're down here and it's a bright full moon, but it doesn't glow in the dark. 
It has no light at all. The only light we get from the moon is when it shines off the sun, banks off the moon, and then comes down to us. So it looks like the moon's all lit up and glowing. But the moon is just reflecting the light of the sun, S-U-N. And you and I are supposed to reflect the light of the sun, S-O-N, as we reflect the light of Jesus Christ into the world around us. Now, I want you to see some huge contrasts in verses 1 through 7. Big, huge contrasts. So we just read verse 1 and 2. I'm going to go on starting in verse 3. When I get to verse 7, I want you to join me in reading verse 7, okay? It's up on the screen. Hopefully you have a Bible with you. You can turn in or click on. So uh, verse number 3, we'll start there. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't do it. Don't do it. So let's look at these contrasts. First contrast, we see in verse number one, we see the self-sacrificingness of Jesus as described in verse number two. Now, the self-centered and self-indulgent doesn't show up in the text, but you read it. That's what it's focusing on. Uh, that means we do whatever we want to do. So, you know, there are times in life when the right thing to do is what you want to do. And there are times when you want to do something that's not right. I, I shared last week that uh, when somebody hurts my family, sometimes I have a sinful response. I want to hurt them bad because they've hurt my family. And so I feel this emotional angst and I want to act out physically. If I did, it would be sin. It would be the wrong thing. There are times when we want to do something that's not the right thing to do. And so the contrast is Jesus was willing to suffer and endure. The Bible says and describes it as Jesus when he was on the cross in those three hours of darkness when God turned out all the lights and the land in the middle of the day was in complete darkness. It wasn't an eclipse. It was complete darkness. In eclipse, you still see some light. And in that darkness, Jesus took on himself the suffering of all the sins of all the world. So every sin you have ever done and every sin you ever will do in your entire life, Jesus on the cross suffered the punishment for those sins so that you could believe and trust in him and you could become part of God's family. Now, some of you were nice people before you got saved. Some of us, not so nice. Some people are kind and gracious even before they trust Christ. Some people are criminals and violent and then they trust Christ and their life changes. All of us need a savior. 
The good people, the bad people, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? They all need a savior. Even the good looking ones need a savior. We all need a savior. And so Jesus sacrificed and paid the penalty for our sins and we can then walk in light with him and follow him. So the contrast between what Jesus was willing to do for the good of mankind and what most people do for their own good and they don't care what happens to other people. These are the industrialists who abuse their workers. These are uh, the politicians who ignore what's right and choose to do what's wrong just because they want to do it. And so uh, that's the self-centeredness. That's the self-indulgentness. The second big contrast in this passage is between love and lust. Jesus, verse two, walk in love just like Christ and then you look down at verse three, fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, uh, lust, and he said, let it not be named among you. Don't, don't go there. Now, it's not just fornication is sexual sin. It includes any sexual sin. Um, it includes sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage. Uh, sex is designed specifically by God for within marriage. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And anything else, pornography and everything else, is fornication. And uh, God said fornicators will be judged. It's, it's the wrong thing to do. And uncleanness and covetousness. Now, covetousness uh, can include a man wanting his neighbor's wife. The Bible spells that out. It can also include a man wanting his neighbor's car. Or uh, years ago, Kathy and I lived in a, a sh small neighborhood, and we had a neighbor really close to us, and we had our garage open. Um, I don't remember why, but the garage was open, and we had a cooler that was like four feet long with a thick padding on top. It was made by Igloo, so it was a cooler and a bench. And uh, we, we would fill that up with stuff, and, and, and one day it was gone. And I saw it in the neighbor's garage. And I went over and I asked him, I said, hey, that's our cooler. He said, no, that's ours, we've had that forever. Now, I never had taken the pad off to write my name on top of the cooler, should have thought of that. I couldn't prove that it wasn't theirs. I couldn't call the cops and, and turn them in. And Kathy and I just said, you know what? They're gonna have to live with the consequences of that. And we lost that. Now, as it turned out, we were moving and, and we, we, that would have been a hard thing to pack that big cooler anyway. But we would have given it to somebody, not just let the neighbors steal it. So covetousness, desire for wrong stuff, Desire to do what we want to do. That, those are lusts. Those are sinful desires. Sometimes they're sexual. Sometimes they're not. But they're always wrong. We're supposed to respond in love. Then the third contrast is those who are trying to imitate God, verse 1, and those who are filthy and foolish and coarse. How many of you have ever used sandpaper? Okay, sandpaper comes in different gradients, right? Ultra-fine sandpaper is, is just barely any grit on it. 
you can take that ultrafine, you can put your hand on it, and you can rub it a little, and it's not going to hurt you. That super coarse stuff, uh, that's designed to strip finishes off of wood, and, and that's really coarse. And if you rub your hand on that, baby, that's going to hurt. You're going to lose some skin. It's not just uh, exfoliating. It's, it's a big, huge problem. And so uh, that's the coarseness of life. There are people who are not polite, people who are rude and coarse and violent. And they, they tell uh, inappropriate jokes. And, and sometimes some Christians can tell inappropriate jokes. In fact, uh, the, the, a, a Christian who told the worst joke my wife ever had to listen to very inappropriate joke was a pastor and a chaplain. And she was shocked by that, and rightly so. So that, that filthiness of the flesh, the desire for stuff that's wrong, the foolish desires and foolish talking and coarse jesting, uh, this is something that the world does and believers are not supposed to do. Last week we said, when you communicate with people, you're not just communicating, you're also ministering. You're supposed to minister grace to the hearer. So you, you can't do things the way the world does. The world says, well, I just says it the way I sees it, right? But, but God says you need to say it with love, speaking the truth in love. And so uh, there's another contrast. Those who are dearly loved children of God, uh, that's from verse 1, and those who are sons of disobedience, that's at the bottom of the screen in verse 6, the sons of disobedience. So those who are walking with God, there's, there's a difference, there's a contrast in their lives. Uh, they're going, not going the same place others would go. Uh, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, it said, we used to walk as children of disobedience, and now we don't go there anymore. We don't live that way anymore. We try and follow the Lord. And uh, so the next contrast is in avoiding things and uh, partaking in things. We read verse 7 together, therefore do not be partakers with them. So the world is partaking with them. God's people are not supposed to be. This doesn't mean you live in isolation. There are people who have taken the Christian message and they say, what we need to do, we need to be hermits. We need to get completely away from the world. We need to live in monasteries away from everybody else and have no worldly influence. That's not how Jesus lived. Jesus walked among people who made bad choices, and he encouraged them to step up and make right choices. He encouraged them to change their life. God is motivated by his love for people. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loved people and cared for them and gave them. So once you're in God's family, there's things that maybe you used to do that God wasn't want you doing anymore. There's things, places you used to go that it'd be better if you didn't. And so you start changing and growing, not because you're better than other people, 
but because you're trying to step up to where God would have you be and not stay where you used to be. And then another contrast, those who are in the kingdom of God and those who are facing the wrath of God. And the Bible says there, there's only two spots. You're either in Christ or not. And so if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, the Bible says you're facing the wrath of God. Why? Because God hates sin and he judges it harshly. But God loves sinners and made a way so that sinners just like you, just like me, could be saved. By trusting Jesus Christ, by receiving the gift of salvation, chapter two, verses eight and nine uh, in Ephesians. We just read about that a couple of weeks ago. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Those of us who have trusted Christ, you can't say, yeah, I'm way better than those other people. No, you're not. You are one who received the gift and they have not yet received that gift. So they need to receive Christ and follow him. And see, we can't change the world that we live in, but we can change the way we live in the world. We can change that. So in this room, we have people who were alcoholics and they started following the Lord and they're not alcoholics anymore. We have people who were spending time in jail or prison and they trusted Christ and now they're not living that way. We have people who were self-centered and self-indulgent and now they're trying to follow the Lord. Uh, it doesn't make us better than other people, it just means we're trying to please God and we now have that capacity because we trusted Jesus Christ. Now, this passage in Ephesians 5 talks about sexual sin several times. And I'd like you to mark your spot here and then turn over to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. And I want you to read a couple of verses there. 1 Timothy 5. If you can get there quickly, then, then do. And if not, then I'll read it and you can listen. Uh, but uh, one of the tools that God gives us for dealing with relationships we can think, change the way we think, we change the way we live. And, and in chapter five of 1 Timothy, he said, here's how Timothy can avoid sexual temptations. Verse number one, chapter five of 1 Timothy. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. So within the family of God, if you've trusted Christ as your savior, and then other people have trusted Christ as their savior, then the older women, you treat them as you would treat your mother. The younger women, you treat as you would treat your sister. And so that helps you avoid sexual temptation because you're thinking of them as my mom or my sister. So men can avoid sexual temptation by thinking that way. Women can avoid sexual temptation by thinking of men as dad or as brother. And, and so we reduce the problem with infidelity. We reduce the problem with fornication and adultery because we're viewing it differently. 
Now, the goal is to move your sin into the historical zone. Say, what in the world does he mean by that? How many of you know, already know exactly what I'm talking about? Okay, I do. Um, here's the deal. In fact, let's turn to another passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's turn there. And I tell you, this is a phenomenal verse. These verses, there's several here. This is enlightening. This was life-changing for me. When I was a new Christian and I was struggling with some of the sins that I had before I got saved and they were still bothering me. And by the way, I still struggle with sin. Uh, you can tell somebody struggling with sin, they're still breathing. Okay? <laughs> On planet Earth, we're gonna struggle. Now, we get victory over some sins, but there's some that we're gonna struggle with our whole lives. And, and uh, so when I read this passage, this was a woohoo moment for me, okay? First Corinthians chapter six, beginning in verse nine. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Pause right there. Please don't read on. We'll read on together, okay? Look at that passage. All right, now maybe you never have suffered, have dealt with fornication. You've never been an idol worshiper. You've not been an adulterer or a homosexual or sodomite. Nor thieves, last week we talked about there's two ways to steal, right? You can steal by taking something that's not yours. You can also steal by getting paid to do a job and not doing it well. So probably at some point in your life, you've not worked as hard as you should have. That would fall into that category. Nor covetous. You watch things on TV. Years ago, there was this ad. This guy had this little sports car, and he's got the coolest new computer and it's a T5 or whatever it was. And I, I'm pretty sure it was a T5. And he's driving down the road in his convertible and he's got this big computer box. Some of you remember those days when computers were big and they didn't fit in your pocket. And, and so he's driving down there and he's got his arm around this box, you know, and he's driving and he's so happy. He's got the T5, man. And as he's driving along, there's a billboard up there and they're putting a, it was a T5 billboard, and there's a guy with the, the broom and the glue, you know, and he pushes the thing up, and all of a sudden it says T6. And this guy's driving along, and he doesn't have the coolest, latest, greatest. What covetous. We, we've all been there at some point, in some way. Some of you wish you had the hair that other people had, or you wish you had the height that other people had or some of you wish you had the hair you used to have, right? Uh, but, but the thing is, sometimes we're not really happy with life as we have it. And we would really want more money, more time, more something. And so Paul just said, those people will not get into heaven. If this passage ended right there, doom and gloom because we all fit in there somewhere. But there is another verse, look at verse 11. He said, and such were some of you. 
but you are washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. Paul's saying, hey, that's where you used to live. In fact, Paul's own confession and other passages, that's where he used to live. And so that's why I say we want to take our sins and we want to move them into the historical zone. So I can say honestly and truthfully, I was a teenage alcoholic, but I'm not anymore. I'm not a teenager. I'm also not an alcoholic. Okay? I, I, I got delivered from that through Christ. It took several years after I got saved for me to get the victory, but I got it, and it stuck. And I haven't had a desire for a drink for many, many years. And I don't keep the pit year pins. Some people keep those year tokens, and, and I don't do that. But, but it's been more than 44 years, and I just rejoice at the deliverance that God brought. Such were some of you. The goal is if, if right now, at this moment, you're living in a sinful relationship with someone else, or a sinful attitude, or uh, maybe you're making money by taking from other people. You're not really making money, you're taking other people's money. But, but if that's where you are, what God wants to do is take that sin and move it into the historic zone so that by tomorrow you could say, that's who you were. That's not who you are. That's not how you live now. See, God's more concerned with where you're going than with where you've been. He's willing to forgive anything. He's willing to forgive everything. But then he wants you to head in the right direction and not just keep living in that place. So you want to make your sins historical. They, you stop doing them, you put them in their past. Uh, they're not in your present, they're not in your future. Such were some of you. Uh, last week I was reading through Isaiah and uh, Isaiah 55, seven says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and the Lord will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's who God is. That's what God does. Uh, in the New Testament it says, Jesus Christ saves to the uttermost, absolutely, completely saved. Some years ago, we had a lady in our church named Sarah Allen? Sarah Allen. And she stood up here on one Sunday and gave a testimony that she was pronounced cancer-free. And oh, the whole place just erupted in applause. We were so excited. We'd been praying for her, struggling. She was struggling with cancer. She was pronounced cancer-free, and that was great. And about eight months later, she got a new cancer. She ended up dying of cancer. Some of you remember Mrs. Jean. Mrs. Jean had five different types of cancer. She died from the fifth one. And we rejoiced when God delivered her from one, two, three, and four. We kind of rejoiced when he delivered her from five because he took her to heaven and there was no more suffering. But we felt bad because we missed her. And so when God saves, he saves completely all time and forever. He doesn't say, well, you're cancer free until it comes back. He says, you're saved. You're his, part of his family forever. So what do you do 
if you're struggling with sin. In this passage in, in uh, Ephesians 5, he's dealing particularly with sexual sins. He focuses on that here. What do you do if you have been there, have done that? How do you change? Well, the first thing you need to do is confess your sin to God. You say, wait a minute, doesn't God already know? Yes, he does. But see, God put some structure into his life and into his world and how he deals with us. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Doesn't matter how bad the sins are, he will forgive. That's who he is. That's what he does. So, but we have to confess it. We have to say to God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Some of you have been through uh, a rehab program where you have to stand and admit it. You know, you stand up and say, hi, I'm Terry, I'm an alcoholic. You have to admit it. If you don't admit it, you're never gonna get the victory over it. You have to admit it. And we have to admit before God that we're sinners, that we did wrong and we know it. We need to confess our sin before God. The second thing is you need to repent. Now, to repent is a change of direction. It's like this. You're, you're here and your life's kind of going this way. You're spiritually, figuratively going downhill, right? You're, you're making wrong choices. And then you repent and that's a change of direction. And now you move in the right direction. Uh, we had a time when I was pastoring in another city before I came here. And uh, I baptized a guy who was in his late 70s and he had recently trusted Christ. And he told me, I really wanna give my testimony when I get baptized. And I said, okay, and I had him tell me what he was gonna share. I thought, well, that'd be great for people to hear that. And so he got baptized, he stood in the baptistry, he said, here's what I know. When you're going the wrong way, God allows U-turns. And then he got baptized. That was his testimony. He made a U-turn. He changed direction. And we can do that. We repent, and that's you change your direction, you change your life. You turn toward the Lord, you turn away from what you were involved in and, and anchored with, okay? And then the third thing you need to do is acknowledge your sin to others. So you're back in First Peter, I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter five. And hopefully you're back there. We're gonna read on, beginning in verse eight. For you were once darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Again, a big contrast, darkness to light. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather, what's that next word? Expose them, rebuke them, or expose them. Show them. Don't hide them. Don't cover it up. Expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things are, that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So if you're, you know, over in some dark corner, it's hard to read. But you bring it out to the light and you hold it up to the light, you can see it. 
And he's saying that's what we do with our lies. We hold it up to the light. We expose it. And, and so we admit to one another. Now, maybe you've had some private sin that nobody knows about. You know, maybe you coveted what somebody else had. And, and you don't have to go up to them and tell them you coveted. And, and if you ever had a sinful, lustful thought about somebody, you don't need to walk up to them and say, I have to confess that I've had lustful thoughts about you. Please don't do that. That's not going to help you. That's not going to help them. If your sin has just been on the inside, then you can deal with it just between you and God. But if your sin has been on the outside too, you've behaved inappropriately. In this passage, he talks about fornication, adultery, covetousness. If you've had these things, then, then you need to address it kind of openly with other people. It, it's healthier for you to do it that way because your sin is not just between you and God. Your sin is between you and God and your family and your church family and your community. Everybody who knows about it who is affected by it. It's called the ripple effect. If you take a rock and you toss it out into the water, what happens? Plunk, right? Then after plunk, ripples start out. The size of the ripples, the, the width is determined by the size of the rock that you throw. The bigger the rock, the bigger the ripples. The bigger your sin, all sin's bad, right? The bigger the sin, the bigger the ripples, the more ripples. And so those ripples affect other people. And so your sin, when it is known by others, then you should share with others about your repentance and your change of values, your change of heart. Um, I was in a couple of different churches that did this. A church in California, there was a young lady who was a young teenage girl, and she had behaved inappropriately with a boy and ended up expecting a baby, and, and she got up in front of the church, and she said, it was wrong, I've asked God's forgiveness, he has forgiven me, and the church just overwhelmingly got up and supported her. In this church, before I came here, there was a young man, uh, I've been here 25 years, so it's that young man's no longer a young man. Uh, but he stood up in front of this church and he said, I have sinned and I, I, you guys are gonna find out about it because my girlfriend's expecting and, and I, I just want you to know I've repented before God and I wanna do the right thing and I'm gonna follow God. That young man ended up being a leader in this church and now he's a leader in another church after he moved away from here uh, because he dealt with it appropriately. You set it behind you by bringing it into the light. When you try and cover it up and you don't want people to know, most of the time people know anyway. Your sin is not as hidden as you think it is. And so, just share it with some other people. And if you are one of those other people and they share it with you, I had a young lady call me on the phone one day. I administered to her with, through the fellowship of churches that we're in and the youth ministry that, that I led for many years, uh, AARBC Youth, and also at camp, I was a speaker several times. And, and she called me to share with me uh, that she had struggled in this area and just asked me to pray for her. And I didn't get mad and yell at her, how could you do such a thing? 
No, I did exactly what God would do. See, what does God do? When people repent, God forgives. And we should imitate God. That's where we started in verse 1. So, uh, but to deal with it publicly, kindly, in love, this helps the person who did the sin, and it also helps the other people caught up in the ripple effects of that sin to be able to get beyond it. And everybody can put it in the past, and everybody can move forward. So it helps heal relationships. We moved it into the historical category. People need to know that you've repented, that you've changed direction, that you've changed your life, and not be wondering, is that gonna happen again? Could it happen again? Yes. But if you've made a commitment to not have it happen again, and you've admitted that to other people, you're way more likely to walk in victory. So where do you start? Who do you, how do you find somebody who's safe to share something with? Well, let's let, tell you what. If you're on the MLT, the ministry leadership team here at church, just stand up, would you? Everybody who's on the MLT, wherever you're sitting, please just stand up. Now, some of them might be over in the children's church, I don't know. But all of these people who are right now standing up, they're on the MLT, they're safe, okay? If you're, you guys can have a seat, thank you. If you're online and, you're try, and you couldn't see all who was standing up, uh, you can go to our website and there's pictures of our deacons on our website. You can see, oh, there's the deacon, there's his wife. And you could talk to any of them or to me or Megan or Kathy. Uh, and, and we're safe. This is the place to start. Why? Because when you bring it into the light, it helps you overcome it. When we hide it, it makes it harder to overcome. So build a safety net. Establish some accountability to help you avoid that sin in the future. Now, I bet when you think of safety nets, you're thinking of trapeze artists, right? What's a guy in a hard hat doing in a safety net? I don't know, he was doing the trapeze, but no. This is a construction zone, and off the side of high buildings sometimes, they'll have a safety net. So if a guy falls off, he just ends in the net and kind of rolls on to the floor below instead of all the way down. And so you build a safety net for yourself with safe people and admitting it and putting it behind you. And that's how you build accountability and, and you help to avoid it in the future. Because we can't change the world we live in, but we can change the way we live in the world. We can do that. So we need to walk in the light. As John said, walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Not when we cower in the darkness, not when we try and hide our sin, but when we admit it and we move on. The biggest moment in my young life, um, when, when I was struggling with alcohol, I came to the place where I had to admit that I was an alcoholic, but I was also a drunk. And, and as an alcoholic, that's what alcohol does once it gets in my body, it takes over. Some people can drink in a little bit and tolerate it. My body can't. And so, but I could decide I wasn't gonna be a drunk anymore. 
And you need to make a choice. Are you going to follow the Lord or not? And it doesn't matter what the sin is. You can be a kid who covets the toy some other kid has. And that's coveting and that's sin. It, it doesn't matter what the sin is. You need to admit it openly and then choose to walk in the light as he is in the light. So I don't know what's going on in your heart and life. I don't know. I struggle sometimes to know even what's going on in my head, right? I don't know what's going on in yours. But I want to give you an opportunity to just repent and talk to God. And, and you can deal with whatever sin God's brought into your heart and mind today. The Holy Spirit speaks into your heart and life. And if he's brought something up, then you need to deal with that between you and God right now. I just want you to think about surrendering to the Lord and saying, I'm bringing it into the light. I'm giving it to the Lord. I'm turning away from it. And that's the first step. You're confessing and then you're repenting. Okay, so let's do that. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.